Hello and welcome to Our Green Futures, the place where we discuss what green jobs are and how to discover them. We hear from young professionals working in climate and sustainability about their roles and sector, while also exploring how the work we do and our relation to it could or should change in a sustainable, greener world. Rudraksh is a 22-year-old from New Delhi, India. A former international level tennis player, his bid to make sport more inclusive for ADHD brains led him to the world of advocacy and social impact. He aims to use his unique experience as a neurodivergent athlete and his passion for storytelling and design thinking to make the world a more inclusive place. Hi Rajak, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Hi Emma, um, it's nice to see you in a slightly different guise than usual, yeah. but I'm doing well and I'm very happy to be here. Great, thank you. Thank you for being here. Would you like to start by telling us a little bit about you? Um, so yeah, my name is Rudraksh Mitra. I'm from New Delhi, India, and my background is in sports. I used to be a competitive tennis player for about the last 10 years, and I've played uh, nationally, internationally, at the Asian level, and that's basically been my realm of operation for most of my life, and through sports is where I have found sort of my footing in life, and it's also been the vessel through which I've figured everything out. And incidentally, it is via sport that I found my way to the sustainable development spaces as well. My life is very much synonymous with sport so far. And how did you make that journey or that link between sport and professional tennis playing and sustainability? The process was very interesting. I mean, I come from a family of civil servants and social workers. My mother was a very prolific social worker back in India. And my father was also you know, in the administration, the Indian government's administration. So um, there was always the backdrop of, you know, more people-focused things. But at the same time, it's not something that interested mm-hmm. me in the least. I was very into my sporting career and sort of journey. And within that, obviously, you get to interact with people from many different spaces. You get to live a very unique kind of life, especially when you play in an... Uh, you know, we don't have a sporting culture here in India. So it's not exactly as glamorous as you'd expect. There's a lot of stuff at the grassroots level. And there's a lot of people from so many different walks of life. You know, there are people who are uh, from so many different economical and social backgrounds. So you get exposed to a lot of people. So even if you're not actively cultivating it, you get an eye for these sorts of things. And then when something close to you eventually sparked your interest. In 2021, early in 2021, I got a diagnosis for ADHD, which is Attention Deficiency Hyperactivity Disorder. It's a neurodevelopmental disorder. And uh, I was undiagnosed for 10 years, which wreaked havoc upon my personal, professional, academic life. Everything had been affected by it. And so it was like starting a new inning, so to say. And Within that, um, initially I took it really well. I thought, okay, now I know what my challenges are and where they lie. And I went back into the, onto the tennis court and I started playing tournaments. And in one of the tournaments, I had a panic attack. It was not a new situation for me to be overwhelmed, but it's the first time I attributed not so much to my own nerves or to the situation as I did to, oh, this is the condition that I have. 
And then I went to look for, you know, resources for ADHD athletes because I assumed that, you know, um, there would be more athletes out there with ADHD who would be facing similar challenges. And I felt like while my coaches and my fellow players were empathetic, they couldn't fully relate or understand what I was talking about because it's not something that they understood. Even I found that there's actually absolutely nothing for athletes out there with ADHD. There's very little. And then initially I was like, oh, is it because people with the, you know, neurodivergences are handling things better than just me. But upon, you know, perusing it a little further, I got involved with a few sport plus social impact communities. I tried to interact with ADHD athletes and I tried to interact with mental health experts. And I guess that there's actually not much for us anyway. People aren't talking about it. And that's kind of where my journey into the social impact sphere began with with a very simple idea of, hey, if I involve more neurodivergent athletes in the conversation, maybe someone will figure out how to deal with these challenges and that will help me win more matches. So it came from a very selfish place, so to say. But then getting involved in these places <laughs> exposed me to so much more. And that's how my journey to this year began. Thanks for sharing that, the journey that you've had through that from tennis. Do you think, thinking about the the UN Sustainable Development Goals, do you think ADHD or disability is factored into them enough? Or is there different ways that we can be talking about sustainability in a different way um, and maybe a less neurotypical lens? I think, I personally think the concept of neurodivergence has been factored in enough in anything. We live a world through a very neurotypical lens. And even if you look at diagnosis mm. for something like ADHD, it is done entirely on neurotypical terms. The way that we evaluate it is done entirely on the basis of how it differs from neurotypical life. And all the spaces around us, literally everything from school, workplaces, even institutions like sport, cater exclusively to neurotypical ideas. That's the thing that I found, which is conventional performance training. When I was exploring my options in sport and the options that I had to train or the options that I had to cultivate my game or my mentality, there was nothing that catered to it. So it's all about you fitting into the box that's already put there. All the manifestations of ADHD are labeled as, you know, deviant behaviors instead of, you know, people who just have a different way of experiencing the world. At its core, I don't believe that neurodivergence is a crutch of any sort. It's a crutch within the context of a very neurotypical world. And therein lies the challenge. And then we don't bear any thought, let alone, let alone enough thought for these issues. And, you know, they factor in, like, when we talk about the SDGs, for instance, we have, we obviously have diversity and inclusion and reduced inequality. How often do these conversations or the efforts that are made around them involve inclusivity for neurodivergent folks? And inclusivity doesn't mean bundling us into a box. It means creating the mm -hmm. space for us. But the problem that presents itself here is that we are trying to fit people like me into a specific box instead of trying to make the world a little bigger so that it can accommodate our ways of being. And the big detriment and the big drawback to this is we miss out on a lot of potential and we miss out on you know, so many unique perspectives just because 
you know, we are trying to get people to conform to this one way of being. We're not exploring all the other ways in which people can do things and operate and innovate. The one big thing that always stands out in conversations about ADHD is, you know, it's a big strength. That's kind of how it's The creativity is a big strength. We are more capable of creative thought because we can take patterns, you know, that other people aren't seeing and we have more ambiguous way of looking at things. But how often are we given the space to cultivate this innovation? My teachers in school, I would study in my own way, I would understand the world in my own way. And the thing that I faced a lot was, you're doing well, because I would do well. Objectively, I was successful. I would do well, but the thing that I was always told is you're doing well. If you did it the correct way, you would do even better. Now, the correct way is the neurotypical way. When I tried to do it the neurotypical way, it it didn't work. And I always felt like I was doing something wrong, which made it extremely hard to take, you know, any positives from anything I was doing. Because it always felt like there was something I had foregone in the way that I'd done it or that I wasn't doing enough. That was a very important concept for, you know, to realize that I had to sort of lean into what I had rather than abandon it. And that's what I'd like to see more of in the world as a whole, which is people leaning more into the idea of neurodivergence. And instead of trying to fit Mm -hmm. them into, like to look at the inclusivity instead of us, hey, let's hit these people into the world instead to make the world a little bigger, so to say. Because, you know, what Mm -hmm. we need to do is create space for different ways of being. I love that the way that you say it about making the world a bit bigger. And from your perspective as well, coming from tennis, but then working in sort of offices and and other workplaces, is there ways that you think work should change in the future that would make it more inclusive in, in your point of view? I definitely think so. I think just everything could stand to be a little less rigid. ADHD is very ambiguous. It fits different people in different ways. There is no one way of having ADHD, you know? Mm-hmm. There are commonalities, yes. Um, yeah. But it's not the same for everyone. It manifests so differently across disciplines. Like, it'll look differently for me in sports and it'll look differently for someone who's working in a corporate landscape. It'll look differently for someone who's um, a student and someone who's a musician. So we need to make a little bit of space for mm-hmm. that activity because we are missing out on so much potential. Current notions of aptitude are built are actually antithetical to neurodivergent folks flourishing. And the one thing to really pay attention to when we're talking about something like ADHD is the better I fit into a neurotypical box, the worse I'll actually feel. So if I'm yeah. adapting into this box that you've given me. Like if I am adapting to, you know, the more conventional work expectations of sitting at a desk for eight, nine, ten hours or, you know, just being dialed in every single day all the time. What that's doing for me, even if I'm doing well at it, is that it's burning me out and it's making me unhappier. And the one big issue for mm-hmm. us is the more we do, you know, the more we make an effort to adjust, the less yielding the world at large becomes to us. Because they feel like, oh, they're better now or they're mm. fixed now. 
which is not the case. Actually, the more we're adjusting, the more support we need. But it's looked at the other way around. And that's something to change. And I think, you know, it's very difficult to say, say exactly what will benefit neurodivergent folks. There are things to do. But the first thing to do is open up the conversation, which is what might help, you know. And to actually think, like, what might a neurodivergent in the workplace experience? What might someone with ADHD experience in the workplace? Because right now, we don't even have space for the conversation to be open, you know. And in a lot of cases, we talk about disabilities. In a lot of cases, some things that are expected out of us are actually impossible. And what I see a lot these days is employees. It's just people at large. Why talk strictly about employees? People at large are becoming okay with labels like ADHD, but still not okay with the manifestations of it, you know? When I talk about ADHD, when I talk about neurodivergency, people are very supportive. They're very passionate. They think, you know, they're very sympathetic. I get a lot of packs on the back. I get a lot of support. But then when I present those symptoms or when I talk about my challenges, you know, instead of putting it as, hey, this is what ADHD does, when I talk about what challenges I face as a human being, people are not that open to it. You know, there's a lot of correcting, which is not what we need. What mm -hmm. we need more is like more space creation, not correcting. And where we miss out in this respect is that an ADHD person, we already have rejection sensitivity, which means we're already sensitive to rejection. And along with that, on average, an ADHD mm -hmm. person is likely to receive 10,000 more negative remarks as compared to a neurotypical person by the age of 10 you know, according to a study that was conducted. And we're already facing a lot more negative connotations mm -hmm. because the very way that we function is being corrected at all times. So we automatically believe that our way of being is wrong. That's the biggest thing that I struggled with in my life, which is that, you know, the mm -hmm. way I'm doing things isn't wrong and I have to kind of accept the way I am. And sort of, that's why I always say, being diagnosed stripped me of my denial. Because for many years, I felt like, you know, I was not at ease with myself and I was very unhappy, even though I was doing really well in things. And I felt like if I could just pretend to be quote unquote normal, um, you know, I would get that sort of peak that I wanted. And then as soon as I got diagnosed, I realized, hey, there is no being normal. There's only this. And then I had to learn to lean into it, which is exceptionally difficult as a journey. You know, even trainers that I have worked with have been very one-dimensional in the way that they have gone about things. It's very neurotypical focus. And within this, what we do is we eliminate a lot of the strength that could present themselves. And we really put like a big full stop to mm -hmm. how much neurodivergent people think is possible for them. I feel like every single thing I do, I do it wrong. Because that's what I've been told, that you're not doing it the right way. You're not doing it the right way. You're not doing it the right way. That's why for a lot of people who get freshly diagnosed, it's very emotional and it's extremely challenging. Because for the first time, you feel like, hey, I'm not broken. Mm. You know, and uh, it explains everything. But I feel like the focus needs to get away from trying to fix the way that we present itself and explore more ways of being. And I think that applies to inclusivity at large pertaining to anything, which is 
instead of trying to help people fit into the existing system, why can't we expand the system to fit in more people? I think that applies to conversations around inclusivity at large, and it's especially important within the case of something like neurodivergence. And do you have any resources? I know we've talked about some before for people that want to learn more about ADHD or, or maybe how to open up the conversations between people and, and learn a bit more about it. The resource that I benefited from the most was something called How to ADHD. It's a YouTube channel. One of the reasons that it works really well is because it caters to the ADHD case. The videos are very short and you know, they're designed in a way that keeps sort of our brain stimulated because people who look up ADHD, the thing that is most difficult for us is this like stay on task. And that doesn't mean that we can't focus. We need stimulation to focus. We have something called hyperfocus. To find something interesting, we're going to be extremely focused. So um, how to ADHD is something I really enjoy. I do feel like there is a bit of a difference between most ADHD resources available on the internet or at large, or most information available about ADHD and actual lived experience. I think that's improving. There are a lot more ADHD communities that are coming up. In my opinion, the best way to learn about ADHD is to actually go and speak to someone with ADHD. I think that is the most important thing because the way that it's reported often does not do justice to the way that it's lived. So, you know, the best way to learn mm-hmm. about this is to go through more relatable sort of sources and to talk to people who actually have it and then supplement it with, you know, the information that is available. We need to broaden our lens when it comes to it. And, you know, instead of sticking to, like, if you look up, they'll tell you people have difficulty focusing. Nobody ever attributed it to me because they said, hey, this guy is always focused on what he's doing. The key there was I was stimulated what mm. I was doing. I was on court. Mm-hmm. I was really into it. I could not focus on anything at all outside of it. And those are distinctions that get lost in the crack unless you take a more holistic view of it. Find some other ADHD, talk a little bit with them, add to the conversation if you can, because we need right now a lot more conversation. Thank you so much, Rajax, for joining me. And we'll share the links that Rajax mentioned for anyone wanting to look up more. Thank you so Thanks much. Again. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Our Green Features. To get in touch and to listen to more episodes, visit ourgreenfutures.com.